And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Welcome into another edition of the Can't Wait podcast, where we are settling into the off season, which is going to be eventful for this Jets team. Of course, it all starts with a head coach. We'll get into that a lot today. Tim McMaster here, along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to us, and if you do listen to us on Apple, give us that five star rating and review as well. That really helps us out. Lots to get to. We'll talk about Justin Fields on Monday night in the national championship game, and that disappointment. We'll talk about the coaching search with an update just this morning, uh, and we'll get into Joe Douglas a little bit as well. But we're going to be joined by, I don't want to say the enemy, but Bo Wolf (laughs) is going to come on this show to talk a little bit about Doug Peterson as well. Before we get to all that football talk, though, we have a slightly different little football uh, talk to get to, and it's It's a bit of a reveal. It's been teased a little bit online. It's kind of out there. So we felt like it was time to actually talk about it on the show. Um, The Michael Dunn situation. Connor, what's the best way to go about this reveal? Well, I I think the best way to go about this reveal is is the two of us could could simultaneously. I mean, you're in New York. You could have won the New York lottery. I could have won the the Jersey lottery. And I don't think either of us was, was having a better weekend (laughs) <laughs> then uh, one Marissa Morris was having up in uh, where was it uh, uh, Pennsylvania I think it was I mean can you just Tim Tim and I have obviously known about this for quite some time Marissa is very independent she likes to keep she is her own person so we we keep like the we wanted to keep this identity hidden it, it's it's comical and it's amazing for me to see where this has gone considering the fact he originally joined our chat because Marissa was worried that we weren't going to have any viewers so she needed to get Michael Dunn in our chat to ask some questions but uh turns out that not only do we have a Michael Dunn that is a Jet fan in our chat who is 1A but 1B has a uh, has an interesting job so I was wondering if you could talk about kind of what what you did this uh did this weekend Marissa um, okay, so yeah, this makes me a little uncomfortable. And try not to cry. Um, yes, this makes me a little uncomfortable because, you know, like we said, I am a strong, independent woman over here, and it is very tough. Being don't a, need no offensive it, lineman. It's very <laughs> tough being a woman in the sports industry. So I like my, you know, career to be judged for itself. Um, but yes, my boyfriend of over four and a half years. Um, made this start at left guard for the Cleveland Browns this weekend. And he was incredible. And it was his first NFL start against the Steelers defense in a playoff game facing Cam Hayward and just an incredible defense and replacing, well, trying his best to replace the legendary Joel Batonio in a really tough situation. Um, and he did absolutely incredible. So I'm very proud of him, and it's been a hell of a journey for him. Played in the XFL, um, was undrafted. So to have a moment like that and be able to watch him follow his dreams was really cool. 
I think what's like the coolest part about this story is like I said, like Marissa, like Marissa has been, Tim and I have been like kept in the loop of, of the Michael Dunn, everything. Like, like I said, like when we were friends off this air, like it's not like we come on here twice a week and then we like talk and then we turn it off and that's the only time we talk. Like we're constantly texting and all that stuff. So we've been filled in on like the Michael Dunn sweepstakes this entire time. Like I remember getting a text from Marissa months ago of Michael in his truck in your parking lot or in your, uh, in your driveway that just said off to Cleveland. And it was like, wow, like he's going <laughs> to camp, but yeah. like you kind of tease, like he's not, yeah. this wasn't like a, a, a guy who played three years and he just went to the Browns for, I mean, he was no, like undrafted. I mean, like, this kid has had every challenge. He was undrafted. He was a walk-on at the university of Maryland. All right, great. That's where we met. Um, he was a walk-on at University of Maryland and then became a four-year starter, started 48 straight games for the Terps. Um, he tore his labrum, um, <laughs> trying to catch a, uh, on a trick play. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, really tough his senior year, um, and had to get off season surgery. So he did not get drafted. He was undrafted to the Rams. He bounced around to a few different teams. Again, he, like I said, he played in the AAF, the XFL, always really worked really hard to keep his dream alive. And, you know, there were definitely points where he was ready to hang it up. And, you know, he was an economics major of Maryland. He's a very smart kid, um, but he always, you know, kept that dream going. And the Browns called this summer. He got his opportunity. He is so lucky to have an, I mean, we've talked about Bill Callahan, yeah. the offensive line. Like, I mean, he is learning from like legends in this business. So and getting to be surrounded by guys like Jack Conklin and JC Treader and Joel Batonio. I mean, he is very lucky. And, you know, it was a very, very stressful week over here. Lots of film being watched, but um, it was, it, I was really, it was unbelievable. Like there's no words. So I'm very, very happy for him. He got, I, I think he got a shout out on the broadcast as far as a spotlight situation yeah. after the game. We're Baker taking Mayfield pictures of it all, sending to rest. Through, <laughs> they just yeah. said Threw his name out as well. Yeah, and Marissa's at the game, so she's yeah. not seeing the broadcast, right? She's in the stands because uh, she made the, the drive over there. Yeah. Um, and so we're sending her the text and stuff. But but the amazing thing is we've we've kind of talked about this between the, the three of us, what it'll be like when he finally gets that start. You know, yes. like and, and Connor, thinking that it would definitely happen. Against the Jets. Connor right. has we called did. this moment for a long time. Connor? He did, although he thought it would come against the Jets. Yes. And he would I was going to recover a fumble or something like that against the Jets. I was going to tweet out Michael Dunn, and there was going to be one A on my Twitter feed. Like, huh, that's yeah. weird. And then people started connecting the dots. They're like, Maryland, Maryland. But the yeah. last one I have for you, Marissa, is obviously, I think, as a reporter, like, I've covered the human interest stories before. And, like, his journey is one of the best. Like, he's a, he's a journalist's yeah. dream in terms of, like, what his road has been. But, yeah. like, when you write stories like that and when you do dive into stories like that, like, one of the first second calls you make is you call the mom you call the wife you call the girlfriend because like you you you, you guys have been dating four and a half years like yeah. you weren't somebody who came around like he introduced you at a bar and said hey i'm michael dunn i play for the browns like you were around <laughs> for him when the injury yeah. happens and it kills his draft stock you're around for him yes. when he thinks he's going to make the rams and he gets cut when it's the jaguars and he thinks he is coming you're around every step of the way you're also the one that's in the tunnel or waiting for him when he gets out of that first start. And he didn't just play. He didn't just yeah. start. I mean, the guy had an 81 pro football focus grade. He's the sixth highest rated offensive lineman of anyone who played in wildcard weekend. So when you guys yeah. see each other, when you embrace for the first time and you're seeing him after this, this hard work, the, the turmoil, the ups and downs, it's finally paid off. I mean, what's that moment like 
for the two of you when you guys finally see each other after that game? On it, so I drove back to um, from Pittsburgh, and he, you know, had to fly back with the team. So I didn't see him like outside the stadium or anything like that. Right. So yeah, he, when he came back to the apartment, we were honestly both like kind of in shock at like just you know how incredible the night was. You know, like the Browns faced so much adversity this past week, and you know he was put in a really tough situation. I know Connor tweeted out the video of us in the parking lot <laughs> practicing. <laughs> um, like I was, you know, trying to give him some hard counts <laughs> and you know, snow. he's Yellow trying snow. to get any like sort of reps that he can, you know? And like I said, they, the guys were incredible in virtual meetings, helping him get prepared. And it was like, we were both just like, it was relief. It was excitement. It was like, Oh my God, what just happened? Like, he couldn't wait to watch the film, let me tell you. Like, he <laughs> got home and yeah, it's opened, a good film that, to watch. <laughs> he opened that iPad, like, in seconds. Like, it was, like, 3 o'clock. I've slept, like, five hours in the past two days. Like, it's been just insane and very exciting, and I'm extremely happy for him. And it's, you know, these guys are people, too. We, You know, I'm guilty of forgetting that at times and you know these athletes have incredible stories and it's just I mean there was a lot of incredible stories this weekend like Taylor Heineke John Wolford like lots of guys that you know you never thought they would be in that situation and rising to the occasion and um it's it's just really like that's what makes sports fun I feel like stuff like that so it was it was it was a good weekend <laughs> you made it through without crying yeah, yeah Connor was trying to get. I was, Connor I was, was trying, trying to get me I was to cry. I was, you know, poking a little bit. I'm sitting here like twirling my hands, all nervous. But yeah, I mean, it's it's been great. So, but we well, got a lot can't of can't wait. Podcast is get- the can't wait. Podcast fully behind the Cleveland Browns the rest of the week. <laughs> yeah, this is this is sure. a beginning story. I think they like. They didn't care as much about my wiener story. They haven't cared too much about some of the other filibusters. <laughs> I'm like intrigued to, to, to look at the, the chat. I haven't they looked like at the chat yet. Haven't looked. No, they like one. I think I think I've I've been monitoring it like to see how like see because first of all I think the Marissa army that lives in our chat is now I mean they're all gonna be going out and buying Browns jerseys today and you're gonna see a million like everyone's got to tweet Marissa like go Browns and and go dogs before uh, before the game this I think Saturday or Sunday I can't remember when they're playing yeah, Sunday um but the best the best Arrowhead before we uh, before we turn like full attention to Jets I think the best comment that I saw in here was wow Michael Dunn is dating Marissa I think that was <laughs> yes, a good one. I know I that, that. that I think. If you get, I don't know if you have like the jersey yet. I know you said he signed uh, through next year, so he's. I got you, you, a jersey. The, I do have a jersey. Yes. You should have it. That should be on the back. Dunn dates Marissa. Yeah. That's, that's what's going on <laughs> the back of it. Yes, for sure. <laughs> all right. So. Well, congratulations, Marissa, and we'll all be Thank watching you. again this weekend as the Browns try to keep it going. Thank you. And now on to the Jets. Lots to talk about. We've got some. Robert there you go. Solid Good news. transition. Uh, and we're going to start with obviously it's all about the future of the Jets. But let's start with uh, Justin Fields. Uh, we'll go there next. And and I think collectively, as people looking at that number two pick, watching the Clemson performance, that was just kind of a oh maybe maybe this guy is that pick. Maybe he can be that. And then you watch the national championship game last night against an Alabama team that's just not even fair at this point. And as good as the Alabama offense is, which is maybe the best offense in the history of college football when you look at it completely, yeah. um, the defense is phenomenal as well. And Justin Fields just 
It was a struggle, Connor. Uh, 17 to 33, 194 yards and a touchdown. I actually thought he played pretty well early on when they were kind of, um, it was 14 14 at one point. Alabama started pulling away, and it felt like Fields started to press a little bit. He had less time. It was like that that defensive front for Bama was getting to him a little quicker. And he just looked really uncomfortable most of the rest of the way. And it just you wrote a column about it. It it makes things just harder for the Jets. It does. I mean, because look, the, one game was never gonna I mean I this is this was literally the lead of the column. Is that like Joe Douglas is meticulous and 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 stone turning over and eye dotting and T crossing. I mean, he is as I'm going to make sure I have all of my ducks in a row before I decide what I have for breakfast. Like, that's the type of, of man that he is. I mean, you didn't get – he didn't – when when he's learning how to build a team from Ozzie Newsom, I mean, there isn't cutting corners. Like, that's not a lesson in, in GMing 101. I mean, that's not what he does. I mean, this is a guy who is going to make sure that is every decision he's going to make be the right one? No, it's impossible. No, no one ever makes every single correct decision when you make hundreds of decisions to, to impact the team. He's going to whiff sometimes. He's going to make some bad mistakes. He's going to do some things that he's not supposed to do in terms of like, oh, I drafted this guy instead of that guy. Case in point, James Morgan. Um, but everything he does, there's going to be a legitimate reason behind what he does. I mean, there's going to be 20 reasons for why he does. So there was never a chance that he was going to decide on the number two pick by simply watching one game, seeing Justin Fields light up uh, Alabama and be like, okay, well, he played well against Alabama. That's my guy. Um, with that said, this was a golden opportunity for Fields to basically make Douglas's decision a lot easier, you know, because he looked so good against Clemson, but there was always that but, you know, and, and even after he played well against Clemson, it was like, well, look what he did against Northwestern. Look what he did against Indiana. The you know maybe that Clemson game was he's he's ridiculously physically talented. Clemson lost that middle linebacker early on. You know Clemson's defense is good; they're not great. So maybe this was just an example of him, meaning uh, Fields just having like the game of his life. And they were like, all right, well next week's test when he plays the Al- Alabama Crimson Tide, that's a basically an NFL defense. That is a team littered with first round picks. That is a team that is top tier just better than everyone else. So if he can go out against Alabama and he can now build on that Clemson performance, and they didn't necessarily have to win because this might be one of the best Alabama teams. I think it's the best Alabama team Saban's probably ever had. And this is probably one of the best Alabama teams to ever exist. I mean, it's one of the best college football teams ever, in my opinion. And if he was able to go out and have a successful game against them, you could say, all right, he did what he did against Alabama he did what he did against Clemson. His entire body of work, both as a junior and a sophomore, it would have made it very challenging to pass on him at number two. He could have solidified himself as the no-doubt number two quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. And then it just comes down to Joe Douglas deciding, okay, do I want Justin Fields or do I want to just not draft a quarterback and run it back with Sam Darnold? With Fields struggling as he did, and you're right, he did make some good throws. Like, like he did that one pass to the tight end down the seam was a thing of beauty. Even in the second half, the one touchdown he threw was another thing of beauty. I mean, he made some impressive throws. But there was that series when this was still a game in which it ended in the red zone when Ohio State had to kick a field goal, and that pretty much ended it because you know Alabama was going to score a touchdown basically every possession, 
where he misses the guy on the fade. Then he comes back and he makes the questionable throw over the middle. There were a few other, I mean, the, the poor decision-making that we've talked about reared its ugly head again. Some of the accuracy concerns we've talked about reared its ugly head again. Some of the pocket presence issues, it reared itself, it's reared its ugly head again. And you don't necessarily know if the hip flexor and some of the rib issues were causing all of this. You don't necessarily know if this was just Alabama being out, out coaching the Ohio State sideline. But it's still there. And and I think we all went into that game, everyone watching it, saying this is a chance for him to really say, I'm going to be the second pick. I'm going to be the guy. And instead, it's it's not back to the drawing board for the Jets, but the decision of what Douglas is going to do is now just so much more convoluted. It's so much more complicated. It's so much more, I don't know what they should do. And and it's tough because this is a situation that's coming up with the number two pick in the draft where the Jets can't get it wrong. You know what I mean? They cannot afford to make the wrong decision here. They need to know is Sam Darnold the guy? And if they're running with Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold has to be the guy. If they pass on Sam Darnold and they draft Justin Fields, Justin Fields has to be the guy. If they pass on Justin Fields and pass on Sam Darnold, go with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson has to be the guy because the repercussions of the Jets trading Sam Darnold and him going on to be a franchise quarterback and Fields not panning out. And what we saw in this national championship, what we saw in Indiana, what we saw against Northwestern is the type of quarterback Fields is. That's a that's a thing that can set the Jets back years. And this is a team that hasn't been to a Super Bowl in 50 and been out of the playoffs a decade. That can set them back years. If they see this uh, game against Northwestern and Indiana and Alabama and say, I don't believe in Fields, I want to roll with Wilson, and Wilson turns out to be a bust and Fields is a, is a quarterback and, and, and Darnold's a quarterback, well, now you're saying they're set back again. And if they decide to trade or if they decide to not pick the two quarterbacks, they think, I don't I don't believe in Fields. I don't believe in Wilson. I'm going to run with Sam Darnold. And Sam Darnold gets slightly better but still isn't a franchise quarterback. And Wilson goes on to be a stud. And Fields goes on to be a stud. Well, it's no different than the situation the Jets were in in 2017 when they passed on uh, when they passed on on uh, Deshaun Watson and they passed on Patrick Mahomes despite visiting with those guys and working those guys out and interviewing those guys and meeting with them at the Combine and all this stuff. They passed on them. Because Mike McCagden, in part, wasn't willing to give up on Christian Hackenberg as their second-round pick and still thought he had franchise quarterback potential. Look how much that has set the Jets franchise back. I mean, imagine what this team would look like if they had Watson. No, they're not trading for him. But imagine what it would look like if they had Watson or if they had Mahomes. I mean, they were a completely different team. So I think what what's Monday did is, is it doesn't necessarily overly change a ton of narratives. It doesn't necessarily – one game wasn't going to be like, oh, they're definitely drafting this guy because he played well. It was never going to be like that. It's never going to be like that with Joe Douglas. But – Fields playing better than what he did if he showed more than what he did if he at least kept this closer and had one of those really good quarterbacking games he at least could have made Douglas's job easier and given there a a apparent believed clear answer where you could have said okay this is the guy I think I think this is the guy for the Jets I think that he's done enough to show it and instead he didn't and that's the real killer, I think, with when you think about that number one pick that obviously got away, the Trevor Lawrence discussion. We've talked about it. If you had to redraft even last year's draft, maybe maybe Herbert yeah. goes ahead of Joe Burrow because, you know, you get him in the NFL field and you don't know. And maybe five years from now, we're talking about Justin Fields being better in the NFL than Trevor Lawrence mm -hmm. or, or Zach Wilson being better than both of them. But the fact, the difference with Lawrence is the floor, right? Like if you're drafting Trevor Lawrence, 
Maybe he doesn't end up being the very best quarterback in this class, although it seems like he is. But he's definitely going to be a good quarterback. Whereas there's those little things with Fields where while he may be great, maybe he's going to be a bust. There's that little hint of maybe he might be a bust where you feel like that's just not the case with Lawrence. The floor is the highest for him despite the ceiling being very high, I think, for all three of these guys. So uh, Dane Brugler actually had his uh, latest mock out just this morning, came out about a half an hour ago. Um, he has Lawrence 1, Wilson 2 to the Jets. Then he has Devontae Smith going to the Dolphins at 3 and Fields to the Falcons at 4. So those three guys all going in the first four picks. This is unrelated to the Jets, but, man, Devontae Smith put on a show last Holy night. Holy hell. In a half. Yeah, I mean, dude. I, I, it was terrible that he, he got injured yeah. and tweaked, and they didn't need him, obviously, in the second half. But I would have loved to see what he could have done with a full game. 12 catches in the first half. It's insane. I, I watching that, and it's funny because you look at him, you listen to him talk, and he sounds like he's 10. And yeah. you look at him, and he looks like he's in high school. Like, like I mean, the guy, like, he's he's kind of skinny. He's, he's, lan- and he's lanky, and he's got, like, the baby face. And then you watch the guy go play. And I I, I haven't watched much Alabama this year. Like, I, I don't watch much college football. I watch a lot of college football when the playoffs come. And I watch a lot of college football when it looks like the Jets are going to be sing- singling in on one pr- specific prospect. So, like, when it was the Darnold, Rose, and Allen time, I was watching a ton of LSU and USC and, and Wyoming. And now this year... I was watching a ton of Clemson film, and then I was watching some Ohio State film, and then when it looked like the Jets actually won a game, it was time to watch some BYU stuff and, and check out to see what Wilson's all about and all that. So I haven't watched much Alabama because they kick everyone's butt. It's ne- No games ever with them is, is ever really close. And it was like, well, I'll just watch them when they get to the playoffs. Seeing that kid, I mean, he's like, he's a fr- I don't know how, I don't know how this guy wins the Heisman Trophy. He's labeled by everyone to be the best player in college football. That's what that trophy means. And Ohio State went out there and was, it's almost like they didn't game plan for him. I mean, he was so open on every play. I've never seen anything like it. It was remarkable. It was it was, it was was truly remarkable. And yeah, like you, you mentioned it too. Like Zane's got Zach Wilson as his uh, as, as the pick to the Jets, which if you guys want to read about it, it's, it's the ton of story up there on The Athletic. And I, 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 I've said this. I was hoping more than anything else that this game could end, this, this national championship could end. And I could come out and basically be on this podcast and and in my writing. And I wrote a column after the game, and the column was going to basically be go get go get uh, uh, go get Justin Fields. Like that was going to be the column. It was go get Justin Fields. Don't make the same mistake you made in 2017, which was when Deshaun Watson went out there and had a tremendous performance in the national championship, and you still passed on him because you thought you had Hackenberg. Don't make that mistake and go get Justin Fields. Instead, man, I'm waking up today and and we're doing this podcast and I I have no idea who the Jets what the Jets should do a quarterback. I have absolutely no idea. There I don't know if it should be Wilson. I don't know if it should be Fields. I don't know if it should be running back Darnold because I, I just I I don't know. And and that's the shame because like I said, that's an amazing Alabama team. That's an amazing Alabama defense. You're talking about one of the best college football teams that has ever existed the best Alabama team and maybe one of if not the best college football team you could put I'd like to see them go up against some of those old hurricane teams with like Shockey and and Dorsey and and Portis and all them like I'd like to see them go against them but and even go further back with Lewis and Reed and all them but I I just I I I don't know what the Jets should do a quarterback and I I, it's there's no clear-cut answer and and that's like I said Christopher Johnson gave Joe Douglas a six-year contract he's fallen in love with Joe Douglas because he believes that 
he can make these difficult decisions and make the correct decisions when faced with the most difficult circumstances and the, and the decisions that don't necessarily make any sense. And you hope that's true, but man, it, it, this is this is the most difficult of difficult because there is no what is next. There's none of that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, if you're watching on YouTube, you saw him pop in. Bo Wolf joining us, uh, Eagles writer at The Athletic, also host of Birds with Friends, Marissa Morris's <laughs> and, and second and favorite daddy. podcast. And baby daddy. And baby daddy, yes, yeah, you got, see the baby. Jane as well joining us. Hey, Bo, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, listen, I'm always happy to uh, help out some of my fans. <laughs> no, hey, here we go. I swear, like, I, I always, like, I, unfortunately, all this COVID stuff hasn't, I haven't seen you. Like, that's kind of the issue. But I always tell people, like, uh, it's, it's the rivalry with Bo real. I was like, oh, it's real. But Bo's also one of my favorite people in the world. Like, I just, it's the, the your stories are my favorite stories, the cleverness. I've talked about it a dozen times the the airline etiquette like I, i've actually lost track of how many people i've i've talked to that story about because i just think it's freaking amazing and i pose all of my friends the question about and you got to pose it to the listener i think it's amazing the the one about the airline the seat in the aisle if they're in the middle seat or not oh yeah i mean so let's let's say uh you know you're on the let's go marissa i want to see what marissa says so okay marissa you're on you know you're in the aisle seat and okay. there's somebody on the you know a couple comes in and uh they want to know if if you'll move to their aisle to, to their middle seat so that they can sit close together. You got to give up a, an aisle seat for a middle seat. I think I would give it up for like a parent and a child, but I don't think I would give it up for a couple. That's right. Like if it was like a Red mom flag. and a baby, 100% I'm giving it up. I think or that's dad right. and a baby. Yeah. But if it was like, you know, just like an adult couple, I'd be like, well, I paid for the aisle seat. Yeah, get out like, of here. Yeah. Well, and the twist with the mom and the baby, though, is that the mom has to sit next to you and the baby has to be a little right. further away. But I like <laughs> I like kids. So, you know, I would be OK with that. But yeah, that's a tough one. So what's the answer? Like, oh, am I answering go. correctly? 
Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're giving it up, then like, especially if you're like a defensive player, come on, you know, what is that? What is that passive? We need, we need a little bit more yeah. aggressiveness. True. I love it. I love it. Um, so, I, but I, obviously, the main reason, aside from that, like, just to really dive into airline etiquette and if we would be good, if we would be good NFL prospects and stuff like that. Um, I think what has surprised me more than anything else is that when Doug was fired, or it looked like Doug might be fired. The immediate reaction of like, oh my God, he would be the worst option in the world for the Jets. And it's clear he's not a shoe in for it. I mean, yeah, the Jets have done. Yeah, me too. Because, I mean, you would think that a team that hasn't been in the playoffs in, in 10 years, hasn't won a Super Bowl in 50, would look at a guy that, that has gone to a Super Bowl and, and two additional playoff appearances and kind of, aside from this year, has always had the Eagles in the mix in the NFC East and stuff like that. They'd be like, yeah, that guy would be a good hire, but they're looking at him and they say, no, Adam Gase failed in Miami. He failed in Philadelphia that last year. No, no, he can't touch. He's, he's washed up. He's trash. So can you just kind of, I guess, go into where did it go wrong with Peterson in Philadelphia? Because it, it, it is stunning to see a guy that again, 2017, this team wins a Super Bowl with a backup. 2018, they make the playoffs. They lose once again. Foles comes in. They win a. I know it's the double doink, but they still. <laughs> it's the double doink, but they win a playoff game. They then are are, are they like they're they're in it against the Saints in New Orleans. The next year, they're in the playoffs again against Seattle. They they lose once again. Josh McCown and his one hamstring has to come in. Now they have one bad year, but what like how does it go from that? to, okay, we're moving in another direction three years after a Super Bowl. I mean, how does that happen? It is crazy. It's a little bit, uh, you know, mind-numbing how quickly things changed in a year. Like last year, we're talking about what good hands the Eagles are in with Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson's first four years with a Super Bowl and three playoff appearances, the only other uh, coach this century who's done that was Mike Tomlin. So you're talking about like Doug Peterson in this sphere of the best coaches in the league entering this season. And then everything goes wrong. And really it is like it's it's the Carson Wentz dynamic. It's the offense. And I would say that what you're getting, what you would be getting with Doug Peterson is a guy who players love. There's no doubt about that. You saw that in the outpouring of support for Doug Peterson on social media yesterday. You've seen that, what he's been able to do. You know, each of those three playoff seasons, the Super Bowl season, the team rallies behind Peterson and a backup quarterback and they win the Super Bowl. Uh, the next season, again, a backup quarterback, Wentz gets hurt, Foles almost leads him to the NFC Championship game. The year after that, f- they're five and seven. You think they're out of it. Then they rally and win four games at the end of the season with a bunch of backups playing. Sorry for the noise. It's another another day at the content factory here. Um, <laughs> but but uh, there is a bit of a disconnect, I think, with Peterson because you you thought that what you would have with Doug is is a guy who would help uh, have a really high-powered offense, and that has not been the case. Um, in five seasons, they've only had a top-10 DVOA offense once, and that was in the Super Bowl year. Uh, this year, they were one of the worst offenses in the league, and uh, it was not an exciting offense. There was nothing schematically being done interesting. Obviously, he helped oversee the crazy regression from Carson Wentz, and I don't think that Doug Peterson views himself as just a CEO type. I think he wants to be heavy-handed and very involved in the offense. You know, he always talks about play calling as like his favorite thing to do in the job. So I think there is a little bit of a disconnect with what Doug is actually really good at and what he wants to do. Now, I do think that he has a good relationship with Joe Douglas, so maybe uh, they would be able to massage that a little bit differently. 
but um, that, is, that is sort of where things have come now. And obviously, this Jeffrey Lurie talked yesterday about the reason they're moving on from Doug Peterson is because they want to do a rebuild and Doug wants to win now. I think that's sort of um, an easy way, an easy out. I don't really believe that that's exactly the case. Um, yeah. But I think, I think uh, certainly when you compare Doug Peterson to Adam Gase, that's about as offensive a thing as I could imagine saying about <laughs> Doug Peterson. Yeah. The, um, I, I think what the common criticism that I've heard, because like I said, when, when I thought he'd be available, I was like, man, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I saw a successful head coach, a guy who's been a head coach, a guy who's had offensive success and has had playoff success and has a Super Bowl ring on his finger and all that stuff. I was like, man, that would be a good, and a relationship with Douglas. I was like, man, that'd be a hell of a high. And the, the immediate scrutiny was like, well, he hasn't done anything like since Frank Wright left, that, that Frank Wright left. And Frank Wright's out, and and he he's gone, and DiFilippo went on, and and all that stuff, and and that's when all of the trouble started. Now I know they went to the two straight playoffs, but did you see the the Carson Wentz regression really kick into high gear and, and stuff when Wright left? I mean, how much did Frank have to do with those the, that that success during that 2007 season, and how much has his absence potentially played a role in in him leaving? I think the Frank Wright stuff is is overstated. Um... I mean, right. you, you, they went to the playoffs, as you said, the two years after after Reich left. They almost went to the NFC Championship game. Uh, I think the real problem is is the roster he was given, um, and we don't really mm -hmm. talk a lot about that. But you know, they tried to keep this this Super Bowl roster intact. They thought that this was their window. They kept extending these guys into their 30s. I mean, the the Eagles right now, uh, 10 of their highest 11 paid players are all 30 years or older. They have like no good young players. Um, so like you can blame injuries, but those injuries were coming and you know, it's not now Doug plays a role in that too, because like most coaches, he would rather play the older guys than, you know, the, the young unknown. So he's not, he's not faultless there, but I, I think that the Reich dynamic, obviously, you know, Reich was a, was his right-hand man and, and played a big role, especially in, in third down and red zone success, which was what Carson Wentz was so good at in 2017. But I think to, to say that, you know, Doug is nothing without Frank Reich is, is probably unfair. Mm -hmm. That said, you know, he has had a problem filling staffs by himself. And uh, Howie Roseman was very involved in building those staffs. So if you're going to hire Doug Peterson, I do think that there is um, not concern, but you have to keep an eye on, on the kind of staff that he's going to put around uh, himself. You mentioned uh, players, and it seemed like a little of this this rift that formed and, and the way it went is that Peterson, like any coach, I guess, would like a little more say over the personnel of the players. Um, he has the relationship with Joe Douglas, which you would think would help in, in that matter. But do you think his next job, and I'm assuming as a Super Bowl head coach, he's going to get that next job, he's going to not demand, but really push for more player personnel decision-making power? I don't know if, uh, I don't know if he, first of all, if, if he's in a position to demand anything, right. I mean, you know, he, he should probably get a job, but, but, you know, he's still trying to get a job. Um, I think for him, it is less about wanting to have a hand in personnel and more about trusting the person who has control over personnel. Um, you know, Doug Peterson, part of the reason they hired him in the first place is because he was okay with, just being sort of siloed into being the head coach, letting uh, Howie Roseman take care of personnel, have final say over the roster, and even have an influence on the coaching staff. I mean, Doug Peterson was hired after Jim Schwartz was already on board as the defensive coordinator, and that was fine. So um, I think that Doug, in his perfect world, 
would be able to just focus on being a head coach and be able to trust that someone else has his best interests in mind. I think what happened is uh, there turned out to be a little bit of a, you know, of a growing disconnect between Wentz and Roseman. And that's why he would have pushed for more, more say. Last one um, for me, Bo is, is I saw some, and I don't know if you can touch upon it or if there's any validity to it. I saw some stuff out there that, that Peterson's going to take his time and that it's going to be, you know, he, he's, he's going to wait a couple weeks and then see if he wants to coach this year, that kind of thing. Um, I would think just, just, Oh, that, that's probably going to take him out of the running for the Jets job because the Jets are going to want this thing wrapped up probably by the end of this week, early next week. I mean, they've completed their first round of interviews. They're bringing Sala in for a second interview. I mean, they're they're ready to. Spell to his well, name right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to try. Well, we we just uh, heard we just heard from um, Adam Schefter that the Eagles are requesting to interview Robert Sala too. So the competition is on. Mm. Yeah, just so you know, like Connor Peterson is with a D. It's... Did I put Pete? <laughs> No, no, but it is a P. Oh, for a second, I'm like, oh my god, yeah, yeah, don't put that past me, man. Like that's one of those like you write it late at night and you're like, oh, and autocorrect gets and you don't catch it. I just made sure I got my, I got the D in there though. But uh, oh. <laughs> got a, got a good, right good letter to make sure you yeah. got in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but do you get a sense that that this is going to be? Uh, uh, all right, I'm gonna take my time. Uh, you know, maybe I'll spend time with the family kind of thing, and maybe a year off. Or, or do you think that? Uh, Peterson would want to. Peterson would want to uh, get get right back into the into the thing and, and kind of just no. I'm, I'm I want to be a coach. Let's get the job done now. I haven't heard anything specifically, so this is just guesswork. But but knowing Doug from the last five years, my sense is that he probably wants to coach. I don't I don't know that he's okay. you know he's still a young guy. Um, his kids are basically out of school. Uh, they were like part. They were hanging around as part of the staff this year. So. Um, I don't think he like needs to see them through in any way. I, I think he probably wants to coach. That's my guess. I think it might be just sort of playing hard to get. Like I'm not going to scramble to to go interview, but if somebody wants to call me up, you know, you've got my number. Uh, actually, I guess did you get to know his his sons at all? Like his like his uh, how was his? I know his one kid because they grew up. Um, play, one of them played quarterback. Du- but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and the other one's a hell of a golfer. <laughs> so like I remember like the one um, I forget their names, but like when Doug. Before he got the Kansas City job, he lived in Morristown, New Jersey, like down here in South Jersey. And I, at the time, I was freelancing for the Burlington County Times, and they pitched this story to me to go cover uh, this former NFL quarterback's kid who was really good at golf. Oh, nice. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And, like, the kid was nasty. And I remember, like, when they went to Kansas City, he ended up going to, like, a, a, a private high school or something like that to play golf. And I, just wasn't, I never followed him. Outside of that, I wasn't sure if you did, if you knew, if he went on to do anything. But I remember, you've, I know you've both got you've got more than I do on on that front. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, that's the, uh, the people are like, oh, that's the only reason he wants Doug Peterson and the Jets. He wants to play golf with his son. I was like, no, I was just kind of curious. That. So that's already in the chat. Gonna, no, oh, 100. percent There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. <laughs> that's, that that's my that's my chat. burner. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that. Which of these names that's always in our chat bow mm. is you? Uh, whatever uh, it is, anyway. it's, it's the one that's calling for uh, Marissa to, you know, take it easy with these B-level shows and make sure she saves her best <laughs> for the prime time. All right. Well, with that, Bo, thanks, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it and talking about Doug Peterson. And um, I guess the competition is on now, Eagles and Jets, for uh, for who these teams are going to hire. And and uh, we didn't even ask you which job you think is better. I could get that in real quick. Just in, in you know, a few words, which, which job do you think is the bigger profile job for a coach that's available right now. We just talked about this on, on uh, birds with friends last night, but uh, it, I think this one is very close because I think the roster 
and cap situation and front office situation is definitely better with the Jets. I think uh, the expectations are probably lower with the Jets. Like, you know, a, so. a, like a nine and seven winning season is seen as, as a huge accomplishment, yeah. which was probably not the case in Philadelphia. I think the one uh, complicating factor is, is the ownership situation is definitely better in Philadelphia. Um, I think there's a little bit more stability and I think there's more of a belief that you're going to get the resources that you need to be successful. So it depends on the person, but like if it's, if it's somebody like Doug Peterson who has a good relationship with Joe Douglas or somebody else who, who doesn't want to worry about those inter-office dynamics, I would say the Jets. If it's somebody who's looking for more of a long-term uh, stable situation, I would say that probably the Eagles. Makes a lot of sense. Thanks a lot, Bo. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jane. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good stuff there from uh, Bo Wolf. We kid, but but he's so good, um, so entertaining. Um, if you if you have a chance in the athletic with the subscription, check out some of the Eagles content from those guys. They do a great job. Um, the podcast, eh, you don't need to necessarily check that out. But um, So, Connor, what do you think? Um, we're going to go to break and talk about some other candidates, but reaction to what Bo had to say? No, I mean, I think that I think everything that he said is accurate in terms of like, I, here's my thing on on Peterson is that like he's a he's a uh, good option. I think he is a he's not a bad option. I, I like him personally in terms of like what he would bring and the stability he'd bring. And he obviously has success and all those things, but he would not be my top candidate. I, I, I put Dable ahead of him. I put Salah ahead of him. I put Brady ahead of him. I mean, there were guys that I put ahead of him. I was just so surprised when when all this stuff originally came out and just the the overall hate that that he had from this fan base in terms of like, well, he doesn't do this. Well, he doesn't do that. Well, he doesn't do that. And it was like, wow, like, holy cow. Like, Jet fans would kill for the success that he's had in Philadelphia. And, yeah. and Philadelphia was a bad team before he took over. So I don't think he's the perfect candidate. I don't think he is the right candidate in terms of like there are other guys I would put ahead of him. If the Jets went and hired him, I don't think he's a bad candidate, though. This isn't an Adam Gase hire. This isn't a a, um, a Mike McCarthy hire. I mean, I don't I don't view it like that. I view it as a this is a guy that that would has had success before, would have success here. Is he the sexy name? Is he the perfect name? Is he the right name? No, but I think he would give stability, and I think he's the would be a good option for the Jets. I just don't think he's the best option. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Directv satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Directv with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Directv makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Directv has the most MLB games. Visit Directv.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's get into some of these other candidates. Um, just to kind of set the stage here, Connor, this is where we're at. Um, interviews have been had with Robert Sala, Marvin Lewis, Joe Brady, Brian Dabble, uh, Eric Enemy, Dable, sorry, I did it again. Eric Enemy, <laughs> Aaron Glenn, Arthur Smith, Matt Eberflus, and Eberflus, right? 
Marissa? Eberflus, yes. She's Marissa's tracking how to say these I names. I can't it's spell crazy. for the life of me. Like, <laughs> li- like I'm the worst speller on the planet, but these pronunciations are, I'm trying to stick in my head. So I can't yeah, spell I'm the names, at, but yeah. I might be able and to. And then, uh, and Brandon's... That, that why, that's why you're dating somebody with his last name is only like four letters, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Brandon Staley, the other guy who's interviewed, that was on Sunday. A couple of guys are out. Matt Campbell said, nah, not really interested in that job. That's according to the Athletics. Bruce Feldman. And then uh, the Giants actually gave Patrick Graham, their defensive coordinator, a contract extension and didn't let him talk to the Jets. So that's where we're at. But the news this morning is that Salah is having his second interview today. So, Connor, I guess that makes him a finalist. So let's start there. The Niners defensive coordinator, does he kind of check the boxes that the we think the Jets are looking for? Um. Yeah, I think he does. And and as this thing moves forward, I, I think we have a second podcast this week or, or we have to have a second podcast this week. So we'll bring on whoever the Jets have like uh, a second interviews with because this won't be the this isn't like the only second interview they're going to have. It's just the first of their second interviews. We'll bring on the guys to other people and writers to ask about these to get to get the ins and outs of the coaches and, and really figure out what makes them tick and all that stuff. But I think that he is a very intriguing candidate. He's somebody that has been wildly successful on the defensive side of the ball. So, I mean, what what the 49ers have done during his tenure with the team and specifically what they were able to do this year, despite all of those injuries. I mean, when they lose Bosa, when they lose, uh, um, I mean, they traded away Thomas or Buckner. I'm sorry. They traded away Buckner. Isn't Thomas the other one that went down with an injury? I mean, they, they were that that team offensively and defensively was ravaged and they were still a good football team. And, and when you are dealt blows like that and you play in a division with the Seattle Seahawks, when you play in a division with the Arizona Cardinals, when you play in a division with the LA Rams, I mean, you're playing against cream of the crop competition. I mean, there is no off week in the division, you know, like in, in the NFC, in the AFC East for years, it was always like when teams played the Jets and, and Bills and Dolphins, like the Patriots could cruise to 12 and 13 wins a year because they were basically given four or five wins within the division every single year. I mean, that's not the case in the NFC West. And when you have a coach that can put together year after year success defensively, like solid did, when you have a guy that has, that can be dealt the injuries and stuff that he has and still found a way to have success with that team. I mean, it's, it's worthwhile. And he is, incredibly passionate i mean you see his his big bald head on the sideline and he basically turns red with anger and throws stuff around i mean he's got the passion which is going to ignite a fan base and he's got the passion that's going to ignite his players and he's going to get everyone there that's what you check the boxes for i mean there's a reason why this is guy this guy is one of the more sought after candidates he was one of the more sought after candidates last year and he probably could have had a coaching job chose to go back to san francisco he's one of the more sought after now He's being interviewed by everyone, and and there's a reason why there's a reason for all of that. I mean, the Eagles fired Doug Peterson yesterday, and now they're they're out there inter- putting in an interview request for him today. So I mean, he's somebody that people want to talk to, and if the Jets want him, they're probably going to have to act relatively quickly with him. But with Salah, he doesn't have past head coaching experience. He doesn't have NFL head coaching experience. He hasn't been like an interim head coach before, so. The Jets are going to have to surround him with talent. And and the only issue that I tend to come with when, when it comes to hiring defensive-minded coaches is that it's a lot easier to find a new defensive coordinator than it is to find a new offensive coordinator. And defensive coordinators are generally less sought after than offensive coordinators. Now, if the Jets find 
if Jets hire Salah and Salah turns out to be just a, 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 a damn good head coach, it doesn't really matter. He'll continually find good staff to put around him. You know, he'll have the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach and he'll create a, a, a tree like it is in Kansas City where the offensive coordinator leaves, you elevate the quarterback's coach, you hire a new quarterback's coach, and it's kind of that constant run of success. But what I tend to like, and it's just my own thought, my own thinking, is, is I prefer hiring the offensive-minded guy. And I don't necessarily need a... Sean McVay, who's going to call all the plays, or Adam Gase, who's going to call all the plays, or or something like that. But I like the offensive-minded guy because it means the same offensive system is there for when you get a quarterback. So when you find your franchise quarterback, whether it's Darnold or Fields or Wilson, or if the Jets roll with Darnold and it doesn't work and they draft a quarterback next year, something like that. When you have an offensive-minded coach, even if he's not necessarily calling all the plays, like Andy Reid, when he had Doug Peterson with him, wasn't calling all the plays. When Nagy was there, he wasn't calling all the plays, but it was still Andy Reid's offense. It ensures that you kind of have the same voice and the same thing and the same message taught to your franchise quarterback year after year after year after year. And there's never a year where that system is blown up and it starts from scratch. And there's never a year where, oh, well, he has to learn the brand new scheme and there's going to be that acclimation period. Or, oh, you know, suddenly this offensive coordinator that Salah hires to to work with the quarterback that the Jets draft. You know, Salah hires uh, Kafka from the the Chiefs to their quarterbacks coach. They hire him to be this team's offensive coordinator. Kafka has two really good years with the quarterback, and suddenly, like we're talking about with Joe Brady, some other team hires him away, and some other team hires Kafka, and it's like, okay, you got to go find another offensive coordinator. You got to find another voice, and you potentially run the risk of hiring the wrong offensive coordinator, and you put your quarterback back. So. As a, as a coaching prospect, I like Salah. I like his passion. I like his intensity. I think that he would jumpstart this fan base after kind of the uh, monotone of Todd Bowles and the monotone of, of Adam Gase. Because Adam Gase wasn't a, a, a player's coach in terms of like he's going to scream and yell. He was thinking about at scheming you. Salah's the one who's going to get everyone's intensity from here to ratchet it up to 11. And I just... I like that about him. I like him as a candidate. If Joe Douglas decides that he's the right guy, you kind of got to trust what Joe Douglas says. But in my opinion, I always, in today's day and age, I always lean towards, I want, I don't need an an offensive guru. I don't need the quarterback genius. I don't need the quarterback whisperer. I don't need that. I just like the offensive minded guy because it ensures, like I said, your, your quarterback that you have is going to stay in that same system. You mentioned Brady, and that's the one other guy I wanted to t- talk about today because he's a name that we hadn't really gotten into previously. He is, you talk about guys kind of hot coaching, um, you know, prospects and all that. This guy has just been like the helium he has had the last couple of years is incredible. He goes to LSU last year, and he wasn't technically the offensive coordinator at LSU, but he was kind of in charge of installing that offense that Joe Burrow won the Heisman with, became the number one pick with, and they just lit up college football and won the national championship. Uh, He did that in one year, and then he goes to the Panthers this year, and the Panthers' offense took huge leaps forward. I mean, this guy's obviously a brilliant offensive mind. It's interesting because he's different than a lot of the other candidates, I think, though, Connor, because I wouldn't necessarily say that Joe Brady is the CEO type, right? He's the guy that's in the weeds on the offense, and he's going to bring these great ideas, but he's not necessarily that overall manager. But maybe he is, and we just haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. Well, I mean, look, you have guys that just win people over. And and if Joe Brady interviewed with the Jets and Joe Douglas and Jaime and Christopher – walked out of that interview and, and shook his or 
closed that Zoom box because they weren't in person yet. If they closed that Zoom box and the three of them collectively looked at each other and said, God damn. I mean, like, I think you go and hire them. I mean, when Joe Judge interviewed for the Giants job, the Giants didn't go into that one saying, yeah, we think our, this Patriots special teams coach is our next guy. They interviewed him and they walked away and they said, God damn, like that guy didn't have any head coaching. Like that, that guy can do it. Like, I think that guy can do it. So Brady is the one that is the most fascinating to me. And I think he's the one that has the greatest boom, but also the greatest bust. Yeah. Because when you have a guy that is 31 years old, I mean, that guy is younger than some of the players that are going to be on the Jets roster. They're going to hire veterans that are 32, 33 that are older than than Joe, than Joe. I mean, Frank Gore was was playing six years in the NFL, like and, and, like where he's six years in the NFL. He's got six years on Brady. Like that's a substantial amount of time. Like that's that's six years. And I think that his offense is so wildly fascinating because it was ridiculously successful at LSU. And I know that Panthers had their struggles this year, but offensively he had a thousand yard receiver in Robbie. He had a thousand yard receiver in Moore. He nearly had a thousand yard receiver in Samuel. I mean, he did all of that despite the team losing all pro running back Christian McCaffrey for all but three games. But Oh, by the way, in those three games, McCaffrey had like 400 yards and five touchdowns. Teddy Bridgewater threw for 37 to 3,800 yards. I mean, he, he wasn't good, but that's because Teddy Bridgewater isn't good. So I love his offense. I love his scheme. I love his potential. I love, the excitement of what could potentially be there for years and years and years to come with Brady. I mean, you think he is the closest to Sean McVay since Sean McVay was hired by the Rams, but he's 31 and he's never had head coaching experience. I mean, he doesn't have much coaching experience, period. And the Jets have, have kind of made it clear that they want to go out and find the CEO type and they want to have a guy that's going to be involved in the offense and in the defense and in the special teams. And when something's going wrong there, they'll go dive in that side. And if something's wrong there, they can jump over there. And if something's wrong over here, they'll go over here. I mean, that's what the Jets want. And I don't necessarily know if that's Brady. I don't necessarily know if 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 he's the the right candidate for what the Jets want right now. Like I saw someone mention in the chat, like, oh, go with the Joe Brady, Marvin Lewis combo where Joe Brady's your head coach. Marvin Lewis is your defensive coordinator. Yeah, that could work. But again, you're hiring someone in Brady that is not going to be involved in the defense at all. He is going to be the offensive head coach. And then the Jets will be looking for a defensive head coach, which is exactly the same as what they had with Adam Gase, where it was offensive and defensive. And it's the flip side of what they had with Todd Bowles, who was defensive and he had an offensive, and Rex Ryan, who had a defensive and then there was an offensive. Like, that's that's the role that, that, that they would just be running it back again. And it hasn't really worked absent those first couple of years with Rex. The Jets are clearly going into this saying, we wanted a head coach. So while I love Joe Brady, the candidate, I think Joe Brady ha might have a very potential, uh, very bright future. I don't necessarily know if he's the right guy for the Jets unless in that interview, Jaime, Christopher, and Joe all looked at each other and basically said, we can't pass on that guy. We just can't pass on him. Yeah, timing is everything, right? I mean, you got to get the right guy, but you got to get him at the right time in his career as well. And he just might not be quite there with Joe Brady. But it's also good to have that conversation and find out. And who knows, you're going to be hiring another head coach eventually. It's good to have these relationships with coaches, have these discussions. Uh, I think that's going to do it for us today. This was a good one. We packed a lot into uh, about an hour. We're going to be back later in the week. Um, if you haven't already, go to theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. You can join the athletic 
Right now, the deal is just $3.99 per month. So theathletic.com slash the can't wait podcast. We will be back with everybody again later in the week. Have a great day, everyone.